Welcome to Word to Literary. I'm your host, Jonathan. And I'm Kenny. And today we're going to talk about Avatar, the first one of yeah. five, mind you. The first one that was 10 years ago? No, 12, 13. It came out in 2009. So math. Let's do some math. Math. Math is hard. That was a while ago. Yeah, that was a long while ago. And because it came out so long ago, I say we skip most of the recap. I'm sure by now most people have seen it, especially with the re-release a couple months ago. Or if you've seen Pocahontas, you already know the story. Facts. Like, 100% yes. We just rewatched this recently because, of course, the new one's out the way of the water. And we wanted to obviously follow up with what we haven't probably watched. And I don't know, for me, it's been... If this came out in 2009, <laughs> I'm going to be honest. Yeah. I saw be it honest. in theaters. Yeah. Once, possibly twice. Ooh. Never watched it again. Really? Until, twice? Yeah. I think there's a chance. Just because this was as popular as it was, that I'm sure that we ended up going to the movies at least twice. I just feel like that's the case. But point being is that after seeing it in theaters, I don't know that I really ever went back to watch it again. And I'll give it the possibility that maybe on cable television, right, you happen to see it during a daytime where commercials are happening in between and it's really not that you're watching it. It's just on in the background. So, yeah, it's been a while is what I'm getting at. <laughs> Which I would have to agree with. I mean, I remember seeing it in theaters at least once and I think I saw it in 3D. I did and I, I've never been big on having to wear 3D glasses, having to wear glasses. Like, I don't like things going over them. And I don't know, the effect just feels kind of cheesy. It was never my thing. Now, the big question is, did you ever get sick during it? No, I've never gotten sick during it. Like okay. 3D films in general? Yeah. No, I've never had an adverse reaction to 3D films. Have you? Uh, fortunately, I don't think I have either. But I do remember that being like the big thing that was talked about after this movie released back in 09. And there was a lot of my friends who told me that they went and saw it in 3D and ended up feeling sick. I didn't see it in 3D because not to be a hater, because I'm not, I really don't mind <laughs> the 3D technology. It's just that it's never really drawn me in that heavily. The coolest thing I ever saw in 3D was when I was a kid and I went to Universal Studios with my grandparents and we Ooh. got to do the Terminator. I don't remember the exact name of the ride or whatever those were referred to as, but it was a really cool deal because I remember it was around the time of Terminator 2 where it was the liquid metal Terminator and he would leap off screen at you and it felt like it really came off of the screen and wrapped around and it was really neat from what i understood as far as avatar went it was very much more of that just do they call it stereoscopic 3d where it's literally just the alteration of the colors in order to make it feel like it has a greater depth of field i don't know if that's the correct term it might be i just don't know it but i if i remember correctly i want to say it was something along those lines and i at least i think it didn't have the whole cheesy, you know, a character is going to reach to grab something that 
is what will pop out of the screen type thing. I don't think it did that. Okay. But again, it wasn't something that like stood out such a way where I was like, oh, you have to see it in 3D. Yeah. Sure. Definitely recommend seeing it in the big screen just because it is a beautifully shot movie. Like, incredible. Vistas, the way the picture is framed, everything like that is incredible. Yeah, the colors in this are insane. They're so vibrant. They're outstanding. They really pop off the screen. And this time around, so I got really lucky during the holiday season, managed to pull off a, a sweet deal on an OLED TV. And when we sat down to record this, we typically try to watch it, if we're doing it remotely, in a watch party situation. And so we got into a Disney Plus watch party and we loaded up the movie and I had it running on my computer. And so that we could do it as a watch party kind of deal, but also running for my OLED TV. And I remember as we were watching it, I was like, wow, this movie looks so beautiful. There's so much color to Pandora. It's got all this blue and purples. It pops off. It feels very luminescent. And then I turned around and I looked at my TV and I was like, oh, wow, it's so much deeper because OLEDs are designed to have that really deep rich color and i was like wow this almost feels like the movie looks better now than it did when it was in theaters <laughs> and so i ended up sitting on the couch watching it because i was just like wow this movie is so visually stunning and i think that's a great way to jump into part of this conversation today about avatar is the fact that's what really makes this movie is the insane visual effects and just sheer beauty of the richness of all of the colors that's where it falls short other than that the movie is not memorable for right it's the fact that the visuals end up taking over in being a story driver it literally moves the story along by showing you more than what you're actually getting from a just kind of normal story position, right? It falls short in, in dialogue and actual drive. And I really enjoy the movie for what it is, but it turns out, at least I wasn't anticipating this, but the movie itself is a sci-fi version of Pocahontas, like we joked about in the beginning. That was something that as I was watching this, I picked up on that. And then we later learned while reading some trivia about Avatar to give ourselves some behind the scenes information. That's actually where James Cameron drew his inspiration for the movie from. While watching Pocahontas, he came up with this idea. It's how he would have done it better or differently, I should say. And I got to give him credit for that because Avatar is a great portrayal of the story of Pocahontas in a sci-fi perspective with elements that obviously don't exist quite the same in just the traditional story of Pocahontas. You know, we, we deal with the idea that the avatars are kind of sort of puppets. And when it works out that they're able to actually like transfer consciousness into one of the avatars to make Jake a full part of the Pandora natives it's that's what made this different that's what made this something unique in its own right to how the story of Pocahontas itself traditionally goes you're not wrong 
I just wish there had been more development to the characters. They're a little flat, or maybe not flat, but they start at point A and they never end up at point B. True. Yeah, I agree. The story itself has a lot of rich narrative detail to it. There's a lot of things that are implied through the visuals that that we get through just the way that the story is being told from a picturesque standpoint. And it's that we know that Pandora is this beautiful Earth-like place that may not have the same atmospheric similarities, but humans can at least exist here through oxygen masks and not necessarily have to be like fully inside of a suit in order to be on Pandora. So there's it's a very inhospitable place for them. And right. They're putting in a lot of effort to be here, which I get the movie establishes the premise of unobtainium being the most valuable thing in the universe and worth it to forcefully take it from the planet. Right. It's natives. Which leads into kind of the whole plot of they determine that unobtainium is in what they think is like a core, but more beneath the mother tree. And they're going to try and get to it however they can. So they're trying to get involved with the natives to get comfortable with them, to gain their trust, and then to ultimately strike and there's no way to not be destructive about it. And you have to imagine that there's no way that native people are going to be okay. They're not just not going to be okay with that. Well, they're not going to be okay with being forced from their land and have to be resettled somewhere else. So, you know, humans can take this ore from under their home. Right. So we get introduced to Jake Sully, who is the main character of the humans primarily and he had a deceased twin brother who was a scientist already on pandora that he is able to mimic the dna of and therefore can manage his avatar in the same fashion which is what brings him to pandora to begin with before this whole story unfolds to him trying to gain their trust and ultimately falling in love with somebody from the native people fell in love with pocahontas yep he did which john or jake sully js is john smith right falling in love with right. pocahontas i didn't even yeah js yeah. i didn't even put that together oh yep just have that yeah you know noodle around i'll soak that one in just yep okay <laughs> well just driving home the hook po- just driving home the whole pocahontas aspect it kicked in right at the end of the movie when we were watching it i remember just stopping and going oh oh my god this is the story of pocahontas because john smith came along was like i'm gonna gain the trust of the native indians and we're going to make negotiations that allow us to take over their land but no he falls in love with pocahontas and then he's like you know what i gotta protect you guys and the same thing happens with jake sully and the whole thing is literally just sci-fi Pocahontas, which I'm fine with. It's a really good story. I want to make that abundantly clear. I actually do really enjoy both stories. I just found it very interesting that, and maybe it's part of the mastery that James Cameron is when it comes to directing and putting this movie together, is that it is a 
wonderful representation of a sci-fi version. I can't deny that it's very well done. However, I do think almost all stories of Pocahontas tend to be encompassed within less than a two-hour window. So the fact that he's able to make it a three-hour-long movie means that he really is genuinely telling a lot of story from just the visual perspective. When you think about it, there isn't a lot of dialogue that goes on outside of like key moments where important discussion has to happen. There was indeed a lot of just visual panning, showing you, introducing you to all of the wonder that is Pandora. Correct. A lot of sweeping landscapes and close exploration through the jungles. So I guess it begs the question, does James Cameron think that the story of Pocahontas is so good on its own that it doesn't need a little help with sprucing it up to make it a little less just, I guess, the same? Good question. I feel like there was more that could have been done, the ideas presented, which on that note, maybe we should get into the second half of this and get into what our ideas would be. Sure. My my initial thoughts, at least, are figuring I would want to figure out a way to just improve the character development and that draw that you feel when you really start to care about specific characters that you're watching. Right. And full disclosure, everyone, we have already seen Avatar 2, and that is going to be the next thing we talk about, because, of course, makes sense sequentially <laughs> correct it makes sense to follow up yep. in a couple of years we'll follow up with three right exactly for right now you get the pleasure of getting them back to back with avatar 2 they did a similar thing that i have to say they didn't really get too far away from in terms of branching out from the first one and that is that they very carefully orchestrate screen time for certain characters and they also just make you see the point of this is a hero this is an another hero this is your antagonist and these are the ones that you really need to care the most about here's some tertiary characters that come into play and you kind of care about them but it doesn't draw you in all the way and that's where i feel like there needs to be something that i haven't quite figured out yet in terms of bringing more draw to the character development as you go because I want to feel more, right? Sure. And I would say it. this one wasn't as bad. Or let me rephrase that. Avatar 2 is not as character dense as Avatar. Let me rephrase that again. Avatar is not as character dense as Avatar 2. We're mostly focused on Jake and Natiri. Really hoping I'm saying that correct. And then we have supplemental characters. We have, you know, Sigourney Weaver's character. We have the villain. Quatridge. Quatridge. Thank you. And I don't connect with them that well. I mean, yeah, I want to see them succeed and overcome their obstacles. But, you know, when you see Materi's father die, or no, was it her mother? No, it was her father. Okay. Forget but, you know, when he dies, it, it's sad, but it, there's no connection to him. And we see her pain. And I don't know. I just didn't feel it. Maybe it's the alien motif, but there wasn't enough there for me to 
develop a connection. And then when you get into two, where there's so many more characters and we're bouncing around a lot, like I'm enjoying watching them, but I'm not connecting with them. I'm not seeing growth. It just falls flat for me. Yeah, you really get more of a sense in the second one. And of course, we'll get more in depth on that next time. But you get a lot stronger sense of draw to various characters. There's a lot more of them that feel like more main character centered as it is. But yeah, it's the character development does improve in the second one. In fact, light spoiler to the future here when we release that one. But we both agreed already that we liked the second one more than we liked the first one. And the first one was pretty damn good. Yeah. The second one, I can't point at a specific movie that it's a clone of. I can't be like it. I haven't watched Pocahontas 2 in a while, if ever. Does yep. it follow the plot of that? No idea. I haven't seen it in years either. Okay. But yeah. So the characters in the first one, there was draw to like Dr. Grace Augustine Sigourney's character, Norm, which is, I believe, Joel David Moore. And then number one thing that I'd change, right? Right off the rip here. Michelle Rodriguez would live through the movie. That's fair. But I mean, at the time, she dies in every movie. When this comes out in 2009. She doesn't but need it would have be been nice Sean to Bean. buck the trend. I know. She doesn't need to be the Sean Bean. <laughs> Correct. But character deaths do establish high stakes i did feel so, the loss of her character correct and she is one of the few that we do see again not a lot of development there it's mostly i enjoy michelle rodriguez so kill somebody else she did but have keep her a lot alive. of good development in this movie and you could see that she shifted gears she was like i am not going to follow through with this anymore i'm on your guys side and she besides with jake and the rest of the navi and so you get that she's on our side. We want her to succeed. The fact that she goes out is the one that actually kind of stung a little more because it was like, damn it. I actually really liked her as a character. She was a badass and I would love to have seen her make it through, especially since so many got to reprise roles in the second one that I'm like, you weren't dead, I guess. Anyway, we'll come back to that. Right. Would have so, been nice. I can agree with that change. I'd go with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So for other aspects that I would want to look into, improve upon, would be to change other elements of this story. For example, one of the things that I thought was kind of interesting was we find out that Jake is a paraplegic right off the rip, and he is the brother of the previous scientist that was on Pandora doing the Avatar program to find that he died, unfortunately. And so Jake, having matching DNA, comes in to take over his brother's Avatar and continue the program. But he's also a Marine, so it changes the perspective. It changes the drive of this mission at this point, because it's now more of a mission rather than a scientific expedition. Exploration. Or yeah. exploration, yeah. But... What was interesting is as they kind of start to develop his story and they have him citing left or right on, are you going to do more of the science or are you going to do more of the reconnaissance and military? He balances it really well and ultimately gets offered at one point by Colonel Quatrich to have his legs 
basically given back to him by completing the mission on when he gets back to Earth, he gets surgery he needs to be able to walk again. And that's great incentive for completing the mission that he set out to do. But then he's given the opportunity to walk again by proxy of being in the Avatar. And he gets to experience that feeling and learns that he really likes being able to do that. And so there is, once you've watched the movie and you understand how it ends, the incentive that ultimately takes over and becomes the resulting factor is he becomes one of the avatars by transferring his consciousness into it. And so at this point, it's like, okay, you had the incentive to go back to Earth and have your real legs again. But now you have the alternative incentive I'm not familiar with a lot of stories that have two incentives. And so that was something that I thought was kind of interesting that I'd maybe want to play around with and adjust a bit to make it less like that's a driving factor, because in the end, it really just seemed like a mention rather than something that really drove Jake's resolve. I feel like it did. There are several scenes where he's touching his legs and he has to deal with them. And you can tell that it's a motivating factor to do something about it it bothers him it's this sore point so i can understand how he would continue on this path and how being in the avatar body gives him that freedom that he doesn't have makes him feel alive i guess on the other hand maybe it's not fully clear until nearing the end that he has the option to transfer his consciousness into an avatar I guess that's really something that comes into play when Dr. Augustine ends up being fatally wounded and they try to save her by transferring her consciousness into her avatar, which, as we all know, fails. But we know that it seems her consciousness is now with Awa, which in the second movie, they touch on that a bit. But we'll get back. We'll get into that when we get to the second movie. But so, yeah, it's definitely not presented as an option, which is good because if you know that from the beginning, you'd expect it. Right. But I guess to change the movie, like how I would have done it. Yeah. I think I would have gone. I mean, don't like the twin route that they took. I get it, though, because it gives us the option of having the audience surrogate of Jake Sully to ask the questions that. If we'd been with the original brother or one of the scientists, we'd have no need to ask. So, but maybe it's something that could be left out to our imagination. But I, back to my point, I think I may have gone with the route of maybe instead of it being a white guy who comes and saves a day, we go with this interesting route of a Native American who has to tackle that personal feeling of being a colonizer like his own people had suffered under that piece inflicting. It gives interesting motivation for his turn face. You maybe still keep the twin aspect, so you keep the audience surrogate, but you give the character new motivation. And I would probably also change tack and give the Navi themselves a little bit more agency if they're the ones rising up. As it is, I like not maybe it makes me a terrible person, but they attack a fully armed military squad with advanced weaponry and take them out with 
bows and arrows. Yeah. I mean, I'd be curious to know if a bow and arrow can really pierce, you know, the windshield of an Apache helicopter. I would imagine not, but who knows? I will say in argument for the possibility, the fact that they were so much bigger than human versions of those items. <laughs> the bow were the bows were much larger. The arrows looked like they were logs going through those windshields. They were Fair enough. some big arrows, but yes, and I agree. Maybe that does work. But you know, something that I am since watching it like playing around within my head, I almost wonder. So the movie has themes of human greed and colonizing. And but what if we brought a little bit more climate disaster into it? Had this idea that what if the Navi had a similar trajectory as human? They advanced technology, destroyed their planet, and end up getting set back because of it. And now we're seeing them at this future point where they're rebuilding and being more in tune with nature style. Sure. Yeah, then, you know, maybe they can discover something that kind of helps them a bit more, but nothing too heavy handed. Cause I think it'd be interesting to see that play over five movies instead yeah. of this, like bone arrows taken out advanced weaponry. Then maybe that just says something about me. Maybe. But I also think that the idea that we're in a far future it's interesting to think that Pandora is a place where the civilization doesn't seem to be quite as advanced as our own. They definitely make it obvious that Avatar, or, well, the Navi of Pandora don't have the technologies to travel in space, even. And yet they seem like superior beings in a way. Maybe. I mean, they, there's this whole Awa interconnectedness with everything where they can literally plug into plants and nature and connect. Yeah. The planet itself seems to be a lot more organically advanced than anything we've ever seen. But it's just an interesting concept that the natives of Pandora are not quite to the level of technological superiority that humans are in. I guess that speaks to the idea that humans do advance quickly and then have the ideas of colonization, right? Mars, Greedy for sons of bitches. Although right yes. now we're pretty sure there's nothing on Mars that we really want, <laughs> except to find out if it's good enough for living. You never know. There you could be know. something buried under the surface that we're going to go straight mine. True, true. But we get a good time kind of seeing the development of the proving of Jake as one of the Navi. And I think story-wise there, everything settled in nicely. It felt like a good, almost not coming of age because there's not really any, I mean, the whole movie takes place over, I believe they said something like a 90, 100 day period almost. It's, yeah. it's a very short duration. Correct. You have tight time frame to work in, which is good, you know, pacing in a way you don't want a, a movie that takes place over years unless you have very clear delineation like stepping forward it, it does feel like it tries but yeah i have to circle back and just continue to say that a lot of this movie was 
really about the visual aspects of it. It wasn't so much about the way that the story was told via dialogue or the implied narrative so much. Actually, I think the visual aspect is kind of implied narrative. Yeah, I think the visual aspect is very much part of the story. Yeah, the visual aspect is absolutely part of the story. It's the, the fact that it's the lacking of writing in the sense of dialogue and such things that drive plot through words. I think that visual telling for the remainder of the movie, basically, where everything becomes the build up to the fight between Jake and the Colonel. <laughs> it, I'm scared, it circling about that. <laughs> it really just gets there quickly. It doesn't waste a whole lot of time. Like Colonel Quatrich is ready to be like, hey, Jake, listen, I can see that you've gone soft for one of the natives and that you're smitten. And so this project's over, you're done, you're out. And then they escape and it's the old classic, oh, they got away with one of our gunships and now we got to chase them down. But then they manage to evade them and start their preparation for the final battle. And that's really spoken in the visual. There's not a lot going on in terms of chatter. It's just, you can see that this is clear, concise progression from a visual perspective and I can't argue with that it was good because it really did tell that story on its own and I can't figure out how I would necessarily do anything differently there in terms of even creating a dialogue that would help that story along I don't think it's necessary at this point I'm just being honest and fault you for that and they they show that final battle scene where everything comes together and Jake gets a couple of fun one-liners you know the classic like hey this doesn't have to be this way and he's like well over my dead body and he's like yeah kind of hoped you'd say that let's go and then they fight and that becomes a moment for Natiri to come through too and show that she's also a hero which was really great to see this grand moment of success and then avatar 2 well we said earlier that it's good and that it's probably better than the first arguably there we'll we'll cover it, but I'm just gonna say right now that you already know about elements coming up on that movie with characters reprising their roles, and I'm still not sure how I feel about that. That's something that we'll definitely get into a long conversation about, I'm sure. And it felt like it backpedaled on the plot of part one. Maybe, but I think the and not to get too into it, I think the intention is a redemption arc for courage i think that the route they're gonna go yeah just a little hint but yeah like why why does he deserve a redemption arc maybe secretly he's the protagonist all along no for the love of god if they write this out (laughs) and he ends up becoming a character that we all go i like you quatrich you're a good guy i want it, if it becomes one of those stories again, I'm going to lose my shit. Okay. I've seen the stories before where they're like, we want you to absolutely hate this individual. But yeah. Now, now we're going to give them a redemption arc and we want you to love them. And you're like, but how am I supposed to forget about the part where they wanted to commit genocide against an entire people? But no, we want you to like him. Everybody loves a good comeback story. From what? No. 
<laughs> I am going to argue this one back. No, that yes, when it's the protagonist, but a comeback story from an antagonist? Maybe he's an anti-hero. He's not as funny as Deadpool. Or That's fair. He's more entertaining than Black Adam. Touche. Too soon? That's <laughs> never too soon. Oh, uh, that was good. That was good. The Rock would be perturbed. Probably. And, I mean, pulling a little bit of trivia. Sure. I guess Cameron himself has said that Lang's character, Courage, kind of runs throughout the story or the movies. Okay. So, okay. We'll see how it develops. But I can, again, we're delving into Avatar 2 stuff here, but you can see like that development of, oh, maybe I can be a slightly different person as he like experiences things on Pandora. Okay. Interesting. Another piece of fun trivia is that. This is like Zoe Zaldana's third movie where she falls in love with an alien. Whether she was the human or the alien is up to the movie. <laughs> like, What's the third? What's uh, the first? I know well, Guardians is one of them. Star Trek. Oh, that's fair. She was human in that, it's but Spock. she fell in love with Spock, who was Vulcan, and I guess yeah. half human. But then, yeah, Guardians with Gamora. And she's actually played the alien in two out of three. <laughs> That's fair. Honestly, folks, Avatar is indeed actually a really well done movie in the, especially in the visual department. This movie is very visually driven. And that's maybe the real reason that it was the length that it was is because it takes all of those sequences of just visual effects that are showing you a story rather than telling you through dialogue and explaining it and furthering the plot just by furthering the dialogue. Instead, it's giving you that full visual, like, this is where we are, this is what's happening as we're panning over this area, this is how things are unfolding in these events, and it really tells that story visually, and so maybe that's the real reason we get a three-hour movie each time, is because it's less reliant on spoken word to drive the plot. I can agree with that. Like, for as long as it is, I never felt like it was dragging for me. No. Yeah. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the spectacle. Definitely needs to be seen on a big screen at least once. But it tells a good or tells an interesting story, at least through the visuals. You're right. And watching things unfold. Like, I did really enjoy that aspect of it. I just wish the story itself a bit more to it, a bit more interest and complexity. Yeah. You got anything else? No, I think I'm tapped out on that. I do, you know, have stuff we'll get into when we go into Avatar 2, but for now, I think that's it. Yeah, I was going to say, without tapping into more discussion about Avatar 2, which we would like to maintain for an episode of its own, I think I've run my course on this because... Again, admittedly, I think this is a movie that is well told on its own. And if I were to change aspects of it, it would just be to probably make the movie a bit longer than it is because of the fact that I'd want to add some additional dialogue for character development, whatever else. But ultimately, it's good enough on its own that I'm happy with the result. So thanks, Avatar, for being a good movie. Thank you, Avatar. And James Cameron, of course, and all of the people who are in it. All the wonderful actors. Yeah. All right. Well, 
that about does it for this episode of We're Too Literary. I've been your host, Kenny. Clive Jonathan. And as always, you can catch us on the weekly when things are a little bit smoother for us now that we've both gotten over our colds and we're on the up and up now that it's January. So be on the lookout for the Friday releases here again. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever it may be, be sure to hit that subscribe button. You can also check out our website, weirdtoliterary.com and send us feedback at feedback at weirdtoliterary.com. We'd love to hear from you just so that we can continue to improve the show as we go along. And thank you again for listening. Thank you for joining us. We'll catch you guys next time. Take care. Bye now.